I invite you to open up your Bibles to the New Testament, to the book of Galatians. Book of Galatians, we are in chapter 3. We are looking this morning at uh, verses 10 through 14, so five verses, verses 10 through 14 of chapter 3. You know, sometimes I, I think that we need to hear something a number of times, and we need to hear it in a particular way before it really speaks to us, before we really hear it and we take it in uh, and respond. Uh, you know, I remember time 17 years ago on one particular Saturday morning, there was a dog in our neighborhood that was barking incessantly. And my typical reaction to that, and I think this was probably my reaction that morning, I, I don't remember exactly, but it's, yeah, I, I, I may grumble a little bit about the dog barking, but then it's just to sort of ignore it and to let it go on. But that morning, uh, when Amy had heard that dog barking for some period of time, there was a point at which it hit her. And she said, there's got to be something wrong or something that needs attention. So she went over to the neighbor's house. The, the garage door was open. She went into the, the garage, and uh, she found the woman of the house, uh, our neighbor. Uh, she had climbed up high on a, on a ladder and had fallen down and had hit her head on the concrete, and she was laying there uh, in, a, in a pool of blood. And so she called 911 right away and they were able to come and, and help but you know thinking back to how that happened the dog communicated to Amy in a way that she heard but I didn't and I wouldn't have heard or responded uh, you know it's that way for us often I think and, and what Paul is doing in this letter especially in chapters 3 and 4 is that he is giving us one very important message. And he's giving it to us in different ways. So that somehow, even if you don't hear his message, you don't hear his urgency right away, that eventually as we go through and he takes, takes it from different perspectives, that it should come home. That you should recognize that this is important and that he's speaking to me. Now this, this message that we've been looking at is faith versus works, if you really want to simplify it. Faith versus works. It's that no one can be made acceptable uh, before God by what you do, by what Paul calls, we see this phrase again and again, by works of the law, that which you do when you, you, you live a, a moral life and uh, do what's right and then figure that you're okay. And Paul says, and he says this again in many different ways, that the only way to be right with God is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that alone with no contribution from what we do. Now, he knows that we need to hear that message. Now, he knows 
uh, our hearts, ever since Adam, what our hearts have been like, and that we constantly turn back again and again to what have I done? What am I doing? And then looking at that and saying, look, I, I, I've done this, therefore, I am acceptable. He knows us. But he also knows that that is no way to come before the Lord. And so first, he appealed a, a number of verses ago at the beginning of chapter 3 to our salvation experience, and he points back to that and says, uh, see, you, you, you began by faith, you must continue by faith. He's speaking to the Galatians in the church. Last week, he went to the Old Testament, and he showed that Abraham who's often called the father of the faithful, that Abraham, the father, was justified himself by faith alone. Therefore, his children must be justified by faith alone as well. And so this week, Paul goes back again to the Old Testament Scriptures. He's got several quotes in just these few verses to show us, ultimately, our utter helplessness and our need for Christ. And he shows us that He, Christ, is our only so again, this is Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. I'll uh, call your attention there as I read these words. This is God's Word, verse 10. Paul said, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Please join me in, in prayer. Father, this is, as we've seen, a, a message that is repeated again and again, and yet each time in a new way that needs to open our eyes to, to see our own condition in our relationship to you and, and to ask what is the basis, what are we basing that relationship upon. We pray for your help, Lord, in recognizing that. Would you uh, open the eyes of our hearts that we can, can see and recognize for ourselves where we stand with you, what we're depending upon. And help us to make sure that we are resting upon that which you have given us to rest upon. Not upon that which is only from us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now if you take a walk right out behind our, our church here and go to the edge of the parking lot, most of you know not to keep walking because it drops off. And it goes down, and there's a field down there. And then if you were to keep going beyond that field, there is a ravine. It, it drops off a little further, and there's a creek down there. And then, then if you start up the hill that's on the other side, 
you'll come to a place where you're about even with where the parking lot is. That's where they're building a couple of houses over there uh, right now. Um, and, you know, something that I've noticed as they've been building those houses is that sound carries really well from over there uh, to over here. Uh, now, imagine for a moment that we split up the church into to two parts. We split it right down the middle, or, or perhaps we may have to split it based on people's abilities, because then we walked out and half of our congregation stood at the edge of the parking lot. And the other half went down and continued going down and then all the way back up and stood on the hill so that we stood facing each other on either side. And then we began to worship. And we worshiped in this way. Uh, each side would read just maybe a couple of verses out of out of Scripture, and then together that uh, group would shout in unison, Amen. And then on the other side, the same thing would take place, and they'd shout, Amen. And we continue back and forth in this manner, worshiping the Lord. You know, one thing that I think it would accomplish is uh, it would, would help us to remember forever that time of worship, especially those who had to climb all the way to the other side. Uh, this was what the nation of Israel was instructed to do at one point, a very important point. When they finally went into the, the land of Israel after conquering it, there were two very large hills that they called mountains uh, that were close together with a valley in between them. You can go there and, and see them today. Uh, one of them was Mount Gerizim, and the other was Mount Ebal. Uh, and the nation itself, the people, were divided into two parts, six tribes and six tribes. Half were to be on Mount Gerizim, and half were to be on Mount Ebal. And they were to do just what I just described, but the content of what they were to uh, be uh, replying back and forth and reading was on Mount Gerizim it was God's covenant blessings and on Mount Ebal it was God's covenant curses and so after each uh, the people would shout out Amen now just imagine that taking place uh, here are some of the, the covenant curses that are listed in Deuteronomy 27 uh, it's these cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark. That means steals land. Cursed be anyone who perverts justice that's due to the sojourner or the fatherless or the widow. Uh, and then on and on it speaks about uh, being sexually immoral or shedding innocent blood in different ways, and on and on. You, you can think back to what those are. That's, that's really a, a list right out of the Ten Commandments. This is God's moral law. Now, listen to the last of these. It was this. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. So the question, why were they, why was this the way they were to worship? What, what was this to accomplish? 
God wanted to impress upon this people something that they would never forget. To know, in the context of, of worship, who He really is. That He is holy. And that He, he can't stand the presence of sin. Uh, and, and yet, to know that God provided great blessing for obedience to Him. But at the same time, there was a curse there for disobedience. And it helped them to see who God really is, who it is that they were under, who it is that they worship. A blessing for obedience, a curse for disobedience. And, you know, in our passage in Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul wants to remind the Galatians of this very thing. And so what he does here in verse 10 is he quotes the words of that very last curse that the, the people read and that they said amen to. But pay attention to how he says it. This is verse 10. He says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written. Now here he's going to quote, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Let me read that last part again. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You know, that sounds pretty serious, uh, doesn't it? Well, that's exactly how the Apostle Paul wanted it to sound because what he's saying are exactly those words that uh, that God's standard, and he notice, he's saying for everyone. He uses the word everyone. He is talking about for every person. God's standard for everyone is today perfection. And that's what he said. All things written in the book of the law and, and, and does them. And the penalty for breaking that perfect standard is the curse. It is condemnation. Paul calls this, a little bit later, he's going to call it the curse of the law. Why? Because no one can do it. No one can perfectly accomplish the law. And what that means is that everyone who tries to be made right with God through the law, who tries to be justified, stands condemned. Now that raises the question, of, of course, if this is the requirement, perfect obedience. Uh, and the penalty is condemnation, is that, that curse. Then why would anyone try to base their salvation on being good, on trying to keep the law? You know what? That's really the conclusion that Paul, or the question that Paul wants us to come to. He wants us to come to the conclusion that we must not do that. That that's foolishness. But then the question, what other option do we have? Cast yourself onto the Lord Jesus Christ. Cast yourself onto the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, this is the main thing that all the way through that, that Paul is hammering home, that he wants the Galatians to hear what we must hear. That if you depend upon the law you depend upon being good, if you depend upon being moral and right, that you have no hope. But if you turn to Christ, 
and you cling to Christ, you will receive life eternal. That's the blessing. Not death. You will receive true blessing, both in this life and in the one to come. And so again, in this passage, Paul is pointing to our necessity for faith. It's something that we need to hear again and again in different ways because of our hearts, because of the nature of our hearts. Because we, we tend to not listen. We tend to put it out of our minds and hearts. And so the, the necessity to be of faith. And he makes this argument for us again by making a comparison between the two. And so let's look with him at this comparison that he's making. First of all, what are the results of living life by works? And you know what the second one is. What are the results of living our lives by faith? Let's look at the first one. Living by works. And what we really have here is that you know, works, being left to ourselves, basing things upon our own performance, things that we do. What we see in his words is that we will be utterly hopeless because it is impossible for us to please God in that way. You know, Paul says again in verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Uh, and, and then he has this quote that was shouted down from Mount Ebal. And he says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Well, here's our problem, as Paul states it. We are all, every single one, apart from God, we are all under a curse because none of us are able to perfectly obey the law. Uh, now, most of us here, I would take it, uh, probably never use the word curse in, in that way at least. Uh, for one, because it's, it's extreme, it's harsh, uh, but also it's, it's beyond us to use the word curse in that way. Here, the, the word in curse, as it's used here in Greek, is the word katara, and it's used five times in this passage. Uh, and it refers to, so this, you can take this as the definition, words that supernaturally bring harm to those against whom they're used simply by uttering the words themselves. In other words, you and I can never call a curse down on someone else. It says supernaturally bring harm to those against whom they're used. We can't do that. But God can. And God does. And as a result of Remember, we talked about it earlier. As a result of God's covenant that He made with Adam, which we often call the covenant of works, in which we saw Adam failed. He, he, he didn't obey perfectly. He sinned. But remember who also was included in that covenant. It wasn't only Adam. It was all of Adam's posterity. You could say all of Adam's children, which is everyone who has descended from Adam, it's you and it's me. And we are all under a curse. God's curse. And that's, that's what Paul is talking about here in verse 10. He says that all who rely on works of the law, 
And so he's talking about all people, every single person in a church, outside of a church, doesn't matter. Uh, all those who rely on doing good works. In other words, those who would say, God will accept me. You know, I, I, do, I do good things. I'm good enough. All under a curse. God's curse. That's his point here. That all who do not obey God's law perfectly and continually, perpetually, will be under the condemnation of, of God. Now, what that's saying, this verse, verse 10, is a place in which Paul, and remember, he's just drawing this out of the Old Testament. Uh, so that's where he's getting his proof from. But Paul just declares God's judgment against all of humanity. God's requirement is perfect obedience, perpetually. That means continually. Now, that's, that's hard for us to hear, isn't it? Because we know our, ourselves well enough to, to say, I'll speak for myself, I'm not perfect. I haven't been perfect. And so, of course, we're going to say, well, who can be saved? And therefore, we might just assume that this requirement can't be true, that surely God doesn't expect perfection. Uh, and so we might just brush it off ignoring what Scripture says, or maybe trying to interpret it in some other way that allows us to escape this. Now, I just want to mention this quickly uh, and briefly. There is actually a way of looking at this passage and looking at the book of, of Galatians, uh, a way that's become fairly popular, uh, even though this interpretation has only been around for maybe 40 years or so. But a, a, a way that reinterprets what Paul is saying here. And I, I just want us, I want you to be aware of it because you may run across it or you may have run across it. It's usually called the New Perspective on Paul. And very briefly, just to describe what it says, at its heart it says that this phrase that Paul uses again and again, works of the law, that it's not talking about God's moral requirements. And right there is the escape for us. It's not talking about us under the law, under God's moral law, but Paul was really just speaking about ceremonial requirements, about only circumcision and, and uh, matters of eating and, and rules surrounding those. So it was really just a... The, the book is just a squabble between Jews and Gentiles. But it's really, and this is me talking, I believe that it's really pretty easy to show that that reinterpretation of this book is wrong. Now, just by it being so recent, uh, it should be suspect. Uh, but also, especially in this passage where Paul quotes from the curses that, that came down at, at Mount Ebal. Clearly, I, I read those earlier, and those are curses that come out of God's moral law, that we're dealing with God's moral law. Now, the reason that I'm bringing it up is for one reason, that uh, the new perspective on Paul reinterprets Scripture. So it provides a path so that we can justify ourselves. It doesn't square with the rest of Scripture either, but it provides a path for justifying ourselves. 
But if you look at what Paul says here, he doesn't allow that as a possibility. Look at what he says in verses 11 and 12. Paul says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law itself is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them, who does the commandments of God, shall live by them. Now, that last phrase, he's just repeating what he has already said, and then he's proving it, again, out of the New Testament Scriptures. But before we go and look at one of those proofs, uh, notice one thing first. That you either live by the law, he's saying, or you live by faith. There is no in-between. You must choose. He says, the law is not of faith. Faith. In other words, there is, no, there, there is nothing in between. Now, somebody put it, put it like this. Think of stepping off of a dock onto a boat with one foot, but leaving one foot on the dock. So you're kind of straddling the two. And then think about what happens next as the boat begins to depart from the dock. You've got to make a choice, don't you? you you've either got to get into the boat or you've got to get onto the dock. There is no in-between. That's what, what Paul is saying here. You, you've got to choose. It's either faith or works. People often think, well, I am of faith. But then they proceed, we can tend to proceed by by works. Look at me. Look at what I've done. And, and to, to begin to have pride inside. And, and he says, when it comes to standing before God, there's only one. It's either faith or it is works. You can't have it both ways. Now, that was the case uh, for the prophet Habakkuk uh, that Paul quotes in verse 11. Uh, he's looking back to a passage in the book of Habakkuk where the Lord was encouraging the prophet to continue by faith. And he says, The righteous shall live by faith. Now, this quote is out of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, where a comparison is being made between the prophet and the powerful Babylonians who had conquered Jerusalem. Uh, and, and, and the Babylonians were looked up to as those who had accomplished mighty works. They had, accomplished, they, they had conquered many nations, but they were also those who were puffed up with pride because of all that they had done. They had placed their, their, their trust in their own self-sufficiency. And so at this point in this passage, when Habakkuk was discouraged and he was downcast because of Babylon's triumph over them, the Lord encouraged him in this way, by saying, Habakkuk, despite what you may see now with the Babylonians and with the condition it seems that they are in, they have trusted only in themselves. So they are on a path that will lead to death and destruction and defeat. But he said, Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. He was saying to Habakkuk, you began by faith, by trusting in me. And so now you've been declared righteous. And so now you must continue by faith. And the point here is that 
when you trust in your own works, like the Babylonians did, rather than in the Lord, all you've got is the here and now. All you've got is what you have done, the last work that you did. But he's saying very clearly, you have no future hope. And ultimately, you're under God's curse. You're facing condemnation. But when you trust in the Lord, that path is full of comfort. You're able to live day after day, even when you've got uncertainty about what lies ahead and about what the Lord is doing right now. But, but you, you know and you trust that God has that taken all taken care of. He is, as we heard the children say this morning, He is good. And He is gracious. And you can find complete refuge and comfort in Him. He says, the righteous shall live by faith. You know, those words, those same words out of this verse in Galatians chapter 3 meant a great deal to the reformer Martin Luther. At a certain point in his life in which he felt that he himself was under the wrath of God. That he, he couldn't do enough to please God. And if you know about Martin Luther, you'll know all the things that he, he tried to do. But it was especially those words that he repeated over and over and over again that convicted him that there was nothing that he could ever do to gain God's approval. And when he realized that, and he turned to the Lord by faith, he found joy, and he found peace, and he began to live by faith in the Son of God. Now, maybe for you, those are words that you need to spend some time with. The righteous shall live by faith. Maybe you need to go back to back in chapter 2 and spend time in the original context and, and seek to understand, okay, what was the Lord telling to Habakkuk? How was He encouraging him? Uh, maybe you need to understand what they mean and apply them to yourself like Martin Luther did by then repeating them over and over and over again, asking yourself, is this me? The righteous shall live by faith. Is this me? Am I living by faith? Or am I living by works? Now these are the two ways in which we can try to be justified. But if we're living by works, we're doomed to fail. Paul is saying because we are completely unable to do everything written in the law. We can never be made righteous by what we do. The results of living by works is to live under God's curse, which is ultimate loss, damnation. So, what are the results of living by faith? Now here, the answer is completely different. 180 degrees. Whereas living by faith left us completely hopeless, or living by works left us completely hopeless, living by faith puts us in a place in which we're full of God's provision in this life and in the life to come. Remember first what our problem is. Our problem is that we are all lawbreakers now, because God's law requires perfect obedience, perfect and perpetual, ongoing obedience. And none of us can do that. 
And remember, the penalty for breaking that perfect standard is loss, ultimate loss, condemnation. You know, back in, in, in verse 10, the word that Paul used for that, right, was curse. We are all under God's curse. Well, here is the antidote to that immense problem. Look with me at verse 13, Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You know, God's law pronounced a, a curse upon everyone who failed to keep it. Remember the, the curses up on Mount Ebal. That the only way to be saved was for that curse to be removed from us. And what does he say here in, in verse 13? He says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Those are amazing words. It's saying that he took what was ours, the curse, and put it upon himself. And thereby he removed the penalty from us he took the penalty. And how did He do this? He did this by redeeming us. By purchasing us. You know that word, uh, to redeem, as a word that I think today we mostly use it related to coupons. Uh, if you, you hand over a, a coupon, I'm not even sure how much of us use those. But in order to get something in return, we... We give, we give the coupon, but the word itself to redeem, it, it originally came out of the slave trade, uh, where it meant to pay an acceptable purchase price for a slave, and often it would be used in order to purchase the freedom of a slave. And that is the sense of the meaning here. A, a purchase was made in order to secure freedom. So that those who were enslaved under sin and they were under the curse could be set free. And of course, there's always a cost, isn't there? You know, a payment is made. There, there was a cost. And here, there was a tremendous cost. You know, in a few minutes, we're going to be singing uh, in our closing song and we're going to repeat this again and again and again. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And that speaks of the price that was paid in order to redeem guilty sinners like us. The Lord Jesus became a curse for us. His blood was spilled in place of ours. He was nailed, as we see here, upon the tree. And it's, it quotes here out of a passage in, in the Old Testament that, that talked about anyone that was nailed to a tree was under this curse. And so it was a prophecy of what was going to happen with Jesus. Jesus was nailed to that tree, and therefore He was under a curse. Where did that curse come from? It was ours. And He took that curse upon Himself. And therefore, He set us free. You know, the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. 
but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You weren't redeemed with gold and silver. That's what we normally think about when we're thinking about precious things. But no, this was far more precious. It was the blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, not, not deserving what he received, but he received what we were deserving of. That's the gift that we've been given. We're no longer under a curse because the curse has been taken by another. What's this the result of? How do we get to have this? It's the result of believing by faith. And you know, Paul drives that home uh, at the end of our, our passage that we're looking at this morning. He says, So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Remember, it's either living according to our own works or living by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no in-between. The first results in condemnation. It results in the curse of God. The second, living by faith, results in blessing. You can think about the worshipers that went up on those two mountains, those two big hills, half on Mount Gerizim, half on Mount Ebal. You know, we haven't talked much about those who were on Mount Gerizim and the blessings that they proclaimed. But this is what they were proclaiming, the blessing of God. This is the path of blessing. It's by faith and faith alone. And what Paul gives us here in that, in that final verse in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. He, he's summarizing everything that we've covered in chapter 3 up to this point. Uh, he's summarizing that, that the blessing was that which was given to Abraham. Uh, it's spoken of first in, in Genesis chapter 12. A right standing with God for people. And that's where he goes next. The blessing was for the Gentiles as well as for the Jews. It was for all nations. And then that those who come by faith might receive that blessing of the Holy Spirit, which leads to what? Which leads to eternal life. All the way through, that's what Paul is dealing with. These, these two, on the one side there's works, on the other there's proceeding by faith. There is no in-between. And he's calling upon the Galatians, and he's calling upon us to take heed to not proceed today by works of the law, by trying to accomplish, trying to look good, just by moral works that are done, but to proceed by faith in Christ. The works will follow. Good works will follow as we come to Him by faith. Please join me. Let's look to the Lord. Father, we... Thank you for the, the clarity that we're able to receive as we see this, as Paul uh, brought it from different angles and in different ways. 
that we might see, that we might hear, that we might pay attention, that we might recognize that this is for us, that we need to take heed and look at our own hearts. And I, I pray, therefore, Lord, that we would do that. I pray that you would open our eyes and, and help us to see where we are as we stand before you and as we proceed as well. Help us to see where in our lives we're trying to accomplish and, and that accomplishment therefore puffs us up uh, with pride, some form of pride. Help us, Lord, to see what it looks like to proceed by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, help us to be a community, we pray, who would be those who proceed by faith in Christ alone. We pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.